Six days, the man thought to himself as he stood on the prow of the boat. Six days is too long. He stared out over the cold waves as the aisle grew closer. The lighthouse loomed against the gray skies, its lamp cold and dead. When they had received word that the lighthouse was out, he wasn't sure if he believed it. A ship had come into port and said they were lost in the storm the night before and were lucky to be alive, for the lighthouse wasn't lit. Wasn't lit, said he when he heard the claim. What do you mean it wasn't lit? I mean what I says, said the captain of the ship. I've sailed these waters near my whole life. We would have seen the light where we were. The man hadn't argued with the captain. He'd seen him in and out of the port often enough to know that, yes, he had been sailing those waters all his life. He asked him for the coordinates, and when the captain gave them to him, sure enough, he was in the perfect spot for the lighthouse to have been visible. So why wasn't it? Three days after the captain arrived was the next due date for their check-in, but the radios had been quiet that day. They all assumed it was the storm. It must have knocked out communications at the tower. It took another three days to arrange a boat and load it with supplies. And now the man stood upon the boat, sailing towards the small rock in the sea that held the lighthouse, the lighthouse that loomed against the gray skies, its lamp cold and dead. They hailed the dock as they approached, but there was no return signal. The man grew increasingly worried as the aisle grew increasingly closer. They tried two more times, but there was no one on shore to hail them back. When they reached the dock, sure enough it was empty. Emptier even than the man had expected. Not only were none of the keepers there to meet them, but the storm had wreaked havoc upon the little wooden deck. The gondola they used to send supplies from the dock to the lighthouse had been blown into the sea, the cable snapped, and there was only one good mooring post left that they felt comfortable tying up on. The man disembarked. He left the unloading of the supplies to the boatswain and his crew and started the hike up the rocks to the lighthouse. The small aisle that housed the tower was eerily quiet. Signs of the storm were everywhere, torn up shrubs, litter from the docks or the house, even ocean debris that had been hurled from the depths littered the rock faces here and there. The man started to form a picture of what might have happened. When he reached the lighthouse, he called out. There was no response. As he neared the house, he saw that the door was ajar, not blown open by the storm. Someone had left it that way. But where were they now? He covered his nose as he approached the open door. Something smelled rotten, and indeed something was. He peered into the front room of the lighthouse, a small room that served as both kitchen and dining room, and saw plates of unfinished food from six days ago. Or maybe more, he thought. Six days was just how long ago he had heard that the lighthouse was not operating. How long had it been dark? He looked around the room. Aside from the abandoned food, the only other evidence as to the fate of the three keepers was an overturned chair and a missing set of storm clothes from the peg near the door. Only one missing set. The other two were still hanging up. His mind ran through what he'd seen thus far, and a notion of that night began to take shape. The broken gondola cable, overturned chairs, and abandoned food. This is what must have happened. The three keepers knew the storm would be hell for that cable and its cart. One of them drew the short straw and was tasked with securing it while the other two manned the house. Something must have happened, and the man outside called for help. The other two rushed out, knocking over the chair and abandoning their dinner. Whatever the cry had been, it must have been extremely urgent to take both of them away. One man must always keep the house. Those are the rules. The man took one last look around the room and made his way outside, satisfied with his hypothesis. Had he actually been there on the night of the incident, he would have been pleasantly surprised to know he wasn't far off from the truth. One man had gone out to secure the gondola. 
though had he been there that night he would have known that it was not a cry for help that urged the other two out of their seats, but a blood-curdling scream. As it was, he knew none of this, and had only the evidence at hand to support his investigation. Once outside, he made his way to the top deck where the supply gondola would be unloaded. This was near a sheer cliff face, admittedly nearer than it ought to have been, and an iron railing had been installed to mitigate the lack of safety foresight. Except now, the railing wasn't there. Which was beyond strange, considering it was iron and had been driven at least twelve inches into the stone. What kind of wave could tear that out? Of course, had he been there the night of the incident, he would have known it was no wave at all, but a shadow that loomed in the storm. A shadow that had grabbed the poor, unsuspecting man who was doing his damnedest to secure the cable, and who had let out a scream as he was lifted from the ground and dragged off the cliff. A scream so loud that even the howling wind could not drown it out. A scream that had caused the other two men to come rushing out, only to meet the same fate. But as it was, he had not been there that night, so his best guess was that a mighty wave, it had been a powerful storm after all, had come crashing down upon the cliffside, snapping the cable, wrenching the iron railing free from its stone moorings, and dragging the poor man into the sea. Yes, that must be what happened, thought the man as he looked at the empty platform. He let out a cry, and the other two came to his rescue, only to slip off the cliff themselves, either because they did not know the railing had gone, or because another wave snuck up on them as well. He walked to the edge of the cliff and peered at the slowly churning waters below. Or perhaps they thought they could save him somehow and slipped in themselves. It wouldn't be the first time a man had fallen into the sea whilst tending the house, especially on this isle, which was notoriously dangerous. The man searched the rest of the isle for any other signs, but found none. He was not looking forward to writing up this report and delivering his findings. Those were three good keepers he had lost. And on top of it all, the damage to the dock and supply gondola would have to be repaired immediately, and this cursed isle would have to be manned with new keepers. If this stretch of coast wasn't so particularly perilous, they could forget about this old lighthouse altogether, with its sheer cliffs and steep, rocky climbs. But no, it would have to be manned once more. All this was on his mind as they took the boat back to the mainland. He glanced back over his shoulder to look at the lonely isle. The lighthouse loomed against the gray skies its lamp cold and dead. Hall of Mirrors, Episode 9, Journey from the Center of the Earth. So there's a Bureau of Paranormal Phenomena now, huh? said Strider. Looks that way, said Arwen. Are they just on my world, do you think? Oh, absolutely not, said Strider. Infinite possibilities. Someone else is bound to have had the same idea. Maybe a different name, but the same idea. Arwen nodded, but had no other response. She simply looked at the monitor in front of her. She and Strider were still waiting on his machine that was scouring the multiverse for his killer. The progress bar still read zero percent. You reckon those people will be all right? Strider said after a moment. Arwen raised an eyebrow and looked at him. He caught it and tried to recover. I just mean for practicality's sake. If the Bureau knows that they're not really ghosts, they probably set them free in no time, but if they can't get them back... Well, do you like the idea of a bunch of people from another world running around yours without a way home? Arwen smiled. We could always go back and help them. You think we should? Arwen shrugged. Seems like the right thing to do, doesn't it? Strider glanced at the monitor one last time, then nodded. Okay, we'll go. But let's just check if they need help first. Maybe the Bureau has it sorted out. I don't want to bring any more people in here unless I have to. He reached up to grab his cane out of the air, but at that moment... The machine started beeping. 
Both he and Arwen looked. The progress bar now read 1%, and a digital representation of a planet showed on the screen. Arwen and Strider exchanged a look. I have to, he began, but Arwen just nodded. The people will be fine. We need to catch this guy. Great, said Strider. He grabbed his cane and stabbed it into the ground. This time, instead of all the orbs freezing, one immediately drifted over to him. He didn't even have to scroll. Good, it works, he said. Then he reached out for Arwen's hand. Ready? Arwen reached into her coat and felt her gun just to make sure. They were going after his killer, after all. Let's go, she said, satisfied. She grabbed his hand and he touched the orb, and they were gone. They arrived somewhere dark. Arwen almost panicked, having flashbacks to that backwards world where they had found the cage and that invisible monster. But then she realized that there was still light. Faint light, but light nonetheless. She could just make out what looked like stone walls, and she heard a steady dripping. I think we're in a cave, she said. I think you're right, said Strider. I'll be right back. You'll be what, said Arwen, but when she turned to him, he was gone. Or maybe he was just hard to see in the dark. She called out to be sure. Strider, she said. The only answer was an echo. Oh, come on, really? Really what? She turned at the sound of his voice and could just make out his silhouette. You can't do that to me, she said. I was gone for a second. Besides, we need this. A light suddenly appeared, so bright in the darkness that Arwen had to cover her eyes. Then the light dimmed, and she saw that Strider was holding a lantern and dimming it to an appropriate brightness. A lantern? What's wrong with a lantern? asked Strider. It's a bit old-fashioned, isn't it? Would you prefer a flashlight? No, no, it's fine, said Arwen, scanning the room they were in. It was indeed a cave. The light from the lantern couldn't penetrate the darkness above them, so the ceiling must have been very high. Couldn't you just bring that with you, she said, turning back to Strider, instead of jumping back into the hall? Strider looked down at his suit and patted his pockets. Where am I supposed to keep it, he said. Fair enough, said Arwen. I don't love how unprepared we are each time we enter a world, though. Right, said Strider. I'll work on that. Maybe get the hall to tell us a bit more next time. But we're here now, in a cave, and I've got my lantern, shall we? We shall, said Arwen. Over there? Strider turned to see where she was pointing. There was a side passage. Good enough for me, he said. Quietly, though, said Arwen. He's probably close. Assuming that machine worked, yes, said Strider. They crept towards the opening of the tunnel, the flickering light of the lantern setting their shadows dancing across the stony walls. Arwen looked around, trying to gauge where they were. Why a cave? she wondered. Is this his hideout? Is he here hunting another copy of Strider? She was ready for some answers, but also wary. The tunnel was just wide enough for the two of them to walk side by side. They moved slowly, and Arwen strained her ears in search of anything other than their own echoing footsteps and the constant dripping. Was that getting louder? It seemed to be. Eventually, the tunnel opened up into another chamber, and they found the source of what minuscule light had been filtering into the cave. At first, Arwen thought they couldn't be too far underground, but now she wasn't sure what to think, for what lay before them was like nothing she had ever seen. This new chamber was lower than the other one had been, so they could see the ceiling. Only this ceiling was not of stone. It was made of water. Blue-green light flooded the chamber, flitting back and forth with the ebb and flow of the ceiling. A shadow moved above. A fish, maybe, swimming over them and then disappearing. We're underwater, said Arwen. It would appear that way, said Strider. That accounted for all the dripping Arwen was hearing. In the center of the room, water was leaking from the ceiling, 
small drops at a time and splashing onto the floor. Is it glass? she asked. I don't believe it is, Strider replied. He stooped down and picked up a rock off the floor. He threw it up at the roof and it hit the water with a splash and was gone. How? was all Arwen could say. She stooped down to pick up a rock of her own, keeping her eyes on the ceiling. She was about to throw it up into the water when she realized it wasn't a rock at all. It was bone. Arwen dropped it and jumped back with a yell. Strider turned to her, startled. Look, she said, pointing at the ground. She was just seeing it, too. They had been so distracted by the ocean ceiling that they hadn't noticed the bones littering the floor of the cave. She hoped they were fish bones, and some of them were, but some were bigger. Some were undoubtedly human. Well, that's a little foreboding, said Strider. He bent down to pick up a skull. What are you doing? Arwen asked. I'm just looking, he protested. If this is my killer's lair, which it could very well be, whose skull do you think this is? Arwen looked at it, and then to him. Her mouth fell open, and she shuddered at what he was suggesting. Maybe the Fae were right to lock this guy up, said Strider, dropping the skull on the ground. He's a monster. Arwen reached into her coat and pulled out her pistol. She looked around the room. Is he here? Strider looked at her, then put a hand to his mouth and yelled, Hey! Murderer! The only sound was the dripping from the ceiling. Looks like no one's home, he said. Arwen holstered her gun and glared. What if he happened here? You seem to have it handled, said Strider, indicating the gun she'd just put away. Right, because we definitely have the upper hand on an interdimensional murderer in his own creepy lair. She looked around the bone-covered room. We should get out of here. Agreed. There's another passage that way. They crossed the chamber to the tunnel Strider had indicated. So why'd the hall bring us here if he's not here, she asked. Well, it is set to detect any trace of him. If this is his home base, then there are traces of him aplenty. Is our plan to wait here and ambush him? Not bad, but we both know I don't like waiting. Besides, I can set something up that notifies us if he returns here. Right now I just want to see if there's any more we can find out about the guy. Well, he's a weirdo who likes to collect bones, so there's that, said Arwen. Doesn't exactly narrow it down, now does it? Doesn't it? You know a lot of weirdos who collect bones? I'm a homicide detective. I've known all sorts of weirdos. Fair enough. Even so, this place gives me the creeps. A magic water ceiling, piles of bones, weird writing on the walls. What? Look. Strider lifted his lantern so she could see, and sure enough, there were runes scribbled all over the walls. What does it say? She asked. How should I know? Well, I thought maybe you spoke fairy or something. First of all, no, I don't speak fairy. Secondly, how do you know these are fairy runes? Well, they look like the ones on the cage. The fairies are the ones who trapped him, aren't they? That's very astute. Arwen just tapped the side of her head. Detective, remember? They continued down the tunnel. There was more back to the walls and every time they had to leave the other side of the passage. Arwen was lost in the subterranean maze, but with the mirror in Strider's pocket, they could just hop out into the hall whenever they needed. So there wasn't too much worry there. She was just about to suggest doing that very thing. So far, all they had discovered down here were tunnels upon tunnels, strange writings, and a bunch of bones. But when she opened her mouth to speak, Strider held a finger to his lips. Listen. Do you hear that? Arwen stopped to listen. 
There was another sound coming down the tunnel, a scraping sound that echoed off the stone walls, then a cough. There's someone else here, she said. Tell me, Arwen, said Strider. How do you feel about riddles in the dark? Very funny. She reached for her gun. We should be careful. Aren't I always? She just rolled her eyes at that and pressed on, slowly. The scraping sound came and went, like someone was dragging something very heavy across the floor and stopping for a breath. It was continually punctuated by the raspy, phlegmy cough. It was one of those coughs that elicited pity that soon devolved into annoyance, or even anger, that no matter how sick this person was, they couldn't keep it down. It wasn't long before they began to hear a voice as well, a muttering, gravelly voice that was speaking so softly they could not make out what it was saying. They were definitely getting close, though. There was a bend in the tunnel just up ahead, and Arwen guessed whoever they were hearing was just around it. She gestured to Strider to dim the lamp, and he did so. Not so much to plunge them into darkness, but enough that the glow wouldn't extend around the corner. They didn't want to reveal themselves sooner than they had to. Arwen put her back against the tunnel wall and slid forward. She reached the corner, which was just barely illuminated by the soft orange edges of the lamplight, and peered around it. There was another chamber, this one smaller than the one with the water ceiling and the pile of bones. She would have almost called this chamber homey had it not been an apparent evil lair. There were furnishings, an old wooden table with chairs, a cabinet, and a bed. Shuffling between the furniture was a man. He was hunched over and leaning heavily on a walking stick. His leg dragged behind him as he went to the cupboard, grabbed something from it, and limped over to the table. He started coughing suddenly and had to stop moving entirely to manage it. Then he muttered as he placed whatever he had grabbed on the table. Damn this wet, he was saying. The cold. Just had to go for a swim, didn't we? Oh, we like the water, don't we? Fool. Fool. He started coughing again and doubled over. When the fit had subsided, he pushed himself back up with a stick and breathed heavily. Then he stopped and looked in the direction of Arwen. She barely had time to duck back around the corner. Someone there, he said. Arwen held her breath and looked at Strider, who was trying to be just as quiet. Hello, came the raspy voice of the man. Please play no tricks on me. I can't see you. He started to cough all over again. Arwen raised a questioning eyebrow to Strider, and he just shrugged. She decided to take another look. This time, she crouched down before peeking around the corner. The man was looking right at her, or at least he was facing her direction, but his head was swaying back and forth. He had been telling the truth. He couldn't see them. His eyes were covered by bandages. If someone is there, please speak, he said. I mean you no harm. I don't get many visitors down here. He coughed. I get no visitors down here. Not for a long, long time. Arwen went back to Strider. He's blind, she whispered. So? A blind old man living alone in the cave? What do you think? Sounds very suspicious to me, he said. Do you think he's the one? My killer? asked Strider. Maybe, but he doesn't look like he can even make it out of his room, said Arwen. Should we go, or? No, said Strider. If anything, he might have some answers. We should talk to him. Arwen nodded. Okay. They both came around the corner, and as they did so, the old man tilted his head, trying to pinpoint their location. Um, hello, said Arwen. He turned his head to look in the direction of her voice and smiled. What few teeth he had were yellow, and his lips were horrendously chapped. Oh my, he said, I do have a visitor. Visitors, said Strider, and the man turned his direction. His smile turned into a look of shock. That voice, he said. 
Who are you? Strider looked at Arwen before answering. I am called Strider. Strider, said the old man, and broke into another coughing fit. When he had recovered, he wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and then went on. Strider. Called that by whom, I wonder? That is not your name. Do you know me? Strider asked. You? No, 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 but I know your voice. They always have that voice. It has an air to it. They've seen much. They? said Arwen. Who's they? Watchers, said the man, grinning. But I don't know your voice. I've never known a watcher to not walk alone. You've known many watchers? asked Strider. A few, a few, said the old man, nodding. He shuffled over to the table, his foot dragging behind him loudly, making a scraping noise. Though I've never had any visit me here. What is here? asked Strider. Where are we? The man felt around the edge of the table until he found a chair. He fumbled with it as he pulled it out, clumsily turning it around so he could sit down. This, he said when he had done so, this is my home. This is my prison. And who imprisoned you? Strider asked. The man looked towards him. Ah, yes, he said. You would be looking for him, wouldn't you? Who? How do you know who I'm looking for? The man sighed and leaned back in his chair, resting his hands upon his stomach. Do you mind if I tell you a story? Strider was obviously growing impatient, so Arwen stepped in. Sure, so long as we get answers. Oh, you most certainly will, said the man with a smile. And if you're lucky, they will even be the answers that you seek. He leaned forward in his chair and paused for a moment. In his hand he held his walking stick, and he was absentmindedly rubbing his thumb along the wood grain as he thought about where to begin. Finally, he spoke. Long ago there was a war. I trust you know this if you are a watcher of the hall, but I don't think I am wrong in assuming you know only half the tale. Strider snorted but said nothing. The Fae no doubt spoke in riddles about the great evil that sought to tear them from the earth, the evil they just barely destroyed. What I'm sure they did not tell you is that they are related to that evil. Yes, it's true. At the dawn of time, the peoples were one. All of us were children of creation. But as with all things young and beautiful, the peoples were eventually devoured by pride. There were those who claimed to be younger and fairer than the rest, and others who were consumed by jealousy. There were those who crowned themselves kings, and those who rebelled. The war, like all wars, began as an act of fear. The Fey feared they weren't as superior as they claimed. The Fomorians, the enemy of the Fey, feared the Fey were right in lording their beauty over them. Both decided to drown their fears in the blood of their enemies. The two opposing sides were driven from the world, one below and one aside. But the war raged on. The Fomorians sought the realms of the Fae, to no avail, and the Fae, while they knew of the Fomorian underrealm, could not penetrate its defenses, for it was sealed against all save the Fomorians themselves. Finally, the Fae decided that for the war to end, treachery was the only way, and in any scheme there must be a fool. This is where I come in. He paused here. He shifted uncomfortably in his seat. He seemed to be bracing himself for what was to come. I had a daughter once, Ethnew. She was wed by a king of old who came in disguise, and they gave birth to a son. This son, blood of my blood, was crowned king over the Fae for his relation to the Daedanon. And this son, my grandson, came into the world of the Fomorians. He came to my side, and he betrayed me. He blinded me. 
He crippled my power, and he left the Fomorians broken. He trailed off and sat in silence then. Arwen and Strider watched him, still fiddling with his walking stick. Finally, just as Arwen was about to break the silence, the old man spoke again. But the tale does not end there, he said, for seldom does treachery end with one man. My grandson, though he helped the Fae win the war, was himself betrayed. Do not forget that while he was sired by a king of old, his mother was still of Fomorian blood. The Fae would not abide a tainted king. So they betrayed him, removed his crown, and locked him away. But now he is free. He came to visit me. Yes, he was here, but fear not, I sent him on his way. He wanted my help, and I laughed at him. You stole my power, says I. I cannot help even if I wanted to. I am trapped here. And trapped here you shall remain, says he. Then he left. And he's right. I cannot leave this cave. Not entirely. Oh, sure, I may swim out, but soon as I break the surface, I am drawn back here. I know not how or why. It's an old trick from the old war, and my power is not what it was. So here I stay. And here I shall stay until I die if I ever am deemed worthy of such a fate. My grandson is free, and the Fae should fear him. He had the power to overthrow me and slay my kingdom. He will show them no mercy once he finds a way into their world. There it is, he said, turning back in their direction, or best as he could judge them to be. That is my tale. It is the one you sought, is it not? Arwen turned to Strider. He was staring at the man. You were king of the Fomorians, he said. The old man smiled and inclined his head. I am Balor, I, or once was before I was cast down and betrayed. And your grandson? Who is he? He is called Lu. What do you mean to do? Well, said Strider, seeing as he's been killing me, I mean to stop him. I see, said the man. He pushed himself out of his chair then, leaning on his walking stick. I'm afraid I cannot let you do that. Arwen looked at him, surprised. What do you mean? If he's as bad as you say, not to mention he betrayed you, I don't care. He can do whatever he wants. He has brought me freedom by leading you to me. He has given me access to the hall. Strider looked at Arwen. Sorry, but that's not how this works, he said. He reached into his pocket and pulled out his mirror. We'll be going now. Oh, you won't be going anywhere, said the old man. He struck his cane against the stone floor of the cave. Arwen looked and saw that the top of it, the place he had been rubbing with his thumb, had transformed to look like a skull with glowing eyes. Strider let out a yell and Arwen turned to him. He was shaking out his hand. The mirror dangled from his pocket, hanging by the chain. It was glowing red hot. My grandson may have taken some of my power, but not all, said Valor, pushing himself to his feet. And with the hall, I shall soon have more power than even he possesses. Instinctively, Arwen reached for her gun. Before she could even draw it, Balor struck the ground with his cane once again. The eyes on the skull pulsed. Arwen snatched her hand from the grip of her pistol as she felt the stinging heat claw at her palm. It threatened to burn through her holster, too, but she swallowed the pain that was stabbing through the leather and into her side. She wasn't going to leave her gun here if she could help it. Let's go, she yelled to Strider. They both turned and sprinted back into the tunnel from whence they came. There's nowhere for you to go, Balor called after them. You are trapped here. You are mine. The clicking of his cane against the stone told them he was giving chase. Arwen wondered how crippled he truly was, or if it had all been for show. Surely they could outrun a hobbling old man, right? 
This way, said Strider, darting down a passage. How do you know, said Arwen as she followed. It's the way we came, he said. I have an idea. Arwen fought the urge to look back as they raced through the maze of tunnels. The click-clack of Balor's cane and the raggedness of his breathing echoed so strongly that it was impossible to tell if he was gaining on them or not. She wasn't sure where they were, for all the stone tunnels looked the same. She had to just trust that Strider was going the right way. Soon enough, her faith was rewarded as they came once more into the chamber with the aquatic ceiling. The blue-green water shimmered, and Arwen was sure she could see a faint glowing orb. The sun. A way out, said Strider. How are we supposed to get up there? said Arwen. Strider looked around the room. I'll figure something out. Better make it fast, said Arwen. She picked up a rock and glanced at the entrance to the tunnel. Balowar's right behind them. He entered the chamber, not leaning on his cane nearly as heavily as he had been. He cracked a smile. I told you, there's nowhere to go. Now just hand over the mirror. Arwen's only response was to hurl the stone at his head. She was sure by now that if this man truly was blind, he still had some means of seeing if he had chased them this far. Maybe he would avoid the stone. Maybe he'd use that cane of his to stop it, but she had to try. The stone did not go far. As it soared across the center of the room, it stopped suddenly. For a moment, it just sat there, hanging in space. Then it shot up into the ceiling and disappeared with a splash. Arwen looked up at the circle of water above them, then at Strider. Jump, he said. He ran to the center of the room and leapt, his arms up above him. At first it seemed as if he would simply come back down, but then something seemed to catch him. It was like a giant was holding him by the wrists. Then he was pulled into the water above. Arwen didn't hesitate. It was either chance the water or face the creepy man with the magic stick. She jumped. Just like Strider, she threw her hands up above her head. She felt something catch them, and she looked up as she was yanked towards the water. She barely had time to take a gulp of air before she struck the water. There was no way of knowing what was happening around her. It was a blur of bubbles, the roar of rushing water, the desperation of trying to hold her breath. Then she was no longer in the water, but flying through the air. She tried to get her bearings, but before she could, she struck the ground. Luckily, she landed in the grass. Even so, it hurt. She pushed herself up and took a huge breath, filling her lungs with life-giving air. Strider was sitting a few feet away, dripping wet and panting. He smirked. Well, I'm glad that worked, he said. You mean he didn't know it would work? Arwen yelled. I had a pretty good guess, he replied, and look, I was right. He opened his arms to gesture around them. Arwen took in their surroundings. They were on a tiny island. They were in a patch of grass, but the whole place was dotted with stones. To her left was a cliff face, and she could hear the waves below. To her right was a lighthouse. Where are we? she said. Strider shrugged. Don't know, don't care. All that matters is we're out of that hellhole. Arwen turned back to the cliff. Will he follow? Just then, as if in answer to her question, there was a great burst of water, a wave that seemed to strike the cliff face and reach all the way up to where they were seated. The water crashed all around them, and when it receded, there he stood. The old man was breathing heavily and leaning even more so on his cane. Give me the mirror, he shouted. Arwen looked to Strider, then back to Balor. She remembered something he had said back in the cave. As soon as I break the surface, I am drawn back here. She could see the veins in his neck bulging. He was digging his cane to the ground, and she saw now that he was not leaning on it, but hanging on it. The sea was pulling him back. Give it to me now, he shouted. Well, 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 said Strider. We're getting desperate up here, aren't we? You didn't expect us to escape your little cave, did you? I'm not powerless yet, said Balor. He pushed on his cane, and as Arwen watched, a shadow stretched out from where it was dug into the earth. 
The shadow took the form of a clawed hand, and then it was no longer just a shadow upon the ground, but an ethereal appendage that leapt from the earth. Look out, she shouted and tackled Strider to the ground. She felt something icy grip her leg, and before she knew it, she was being dragged across the grass. No! yelled Strider, diving forward to grab her hands. He missed, and she clawed at the earth until she found purchase on a rock. She laid there hanging onto the rock for dear life. She looked down at her ankle and saw the dark shadow pulling. She kicked at it, but her foot went through it as if it were just a normal shadow. Looking back, she saw an evil smirk forming on Balor's face. Then she heard a yell. She looked up as Strider rushed past her. He screamed and ran headlong into Balor, and they both toppled over the edge of the cliff. Strider! she yelled. She ran to the edge and looked, fearing the worst. Strider, she said again when she reached the cliff. There he was, ten feet below, hanging on by the tips of his fingers. Balor was nowhere to be seen. Reach up, Arwen said. Give me your hand and I'll pull you up. Strider looked down, then back up at her. There's no way, he said. Besides, he just fell back down. He'll be back unless... He didn't get to finish, for just then there was a great surge in the sea below him. Time seemed to slow as everything happened all at once. Arwen saw the wave reaching up to the cliff like a geyser. She could almost make out the shape of a man engulfed in the spray. At the same time, Strider let go, falling down to meet the wave. Pieces of rock tumbled after him. No! shouted Arwen. The ground shook and she realized that more rock was tumbling off the cliff. She scrambled backwards as the face started to give way. The wave carrying Balor met the falling rock head-on and broke against the stone that then tumbled into the sea. Then, all was still. Arwen was gasping for breath. She looked around and saw no one. Balor had not come back up, and Strider had gone back down. She approached the edge of the cliff, the new edge made by the collapse, cautiously. Peering down, all she saw was the swirling waters below. Best watch your step, detective. Arwen spun around. Strider was standing there. He was holding his arm close to his body, but smirking. She ran to him and hugged him. Ooh, easy now, easy now, he shouted. She pulled back immediately. What did you, how, are you, she stammered. I won't lie to you, he said. Something may be broken. He grimaced as he said it and nodded towards his limp arm. What happened? Well, said Strider, I figured that we had to seal him in, so I may have brought some of the cliff into the hall with me. You what? said Arwen. Just enough to weaken the rest of it. One or two rocks may have landed on me in the hall. I... I didn't even know you could do that, said Arwen. Neither did I, said Strider. But it was pretty cool, right? Crazy is more like it. Well, it worked, he said, hobbling to the edge of the cliff. He looked down to the water below. I don't think he'll be coming up for air anytime soon. Arwen looked up, out over the water. So this is his world, she asked. Strider turned to her and raised an eyebrow. His world? Not at all. Didn't you listen to his story? They were driven underground, and the Fae went off to a different world. They may have started here, but it's not his world. It's yours. Arwen's eyes grew wide. It's what? This is my world? Strider took in a deep breath. I'd bet my life, he said. You can smell it. Can you not smell that? So you mean to tell me, this guy, this creepy magic old man, has been living underground in my world this entire time? You mean to tell me that his grandson, your killer, is from my world? Shocking, I know, said Strider. I definitely didn't expect that. Funny how these things work out. But he, this Lou, I mean, he, he's not here now, Arwen asked. I'm afraid not, said Strider. The hall brought us here because there were traces of him, but now he's gone. Great, said Arwen. Now what? Back to the search? 
Strider's mouth became a hard line. I'm afraid not, he said. What do you mean? Well, when I toppled off the cliff, not all the rocks landed on me, he said. Arwen looked at him, confused for a moment. Then she realized what he meant. No. I'm afraid so, he said. My search engine is destroyed. We're back to square one. But now we know who he is, at least. Doesn't that give us some ideas? Maybe, said Strider. Even so, there are infinite worlds, remember? He could be anywhere. Well, then we better get started, said Arwen. Strider looked up at her and smiled. Ever the optimist, he said. He winced suddenly and grabbed his arm. Okay, first we need to take care of that, said Arwen. Then we'll get searching. Actually, said Strider, there's one other thing I'd like to do before we start. Oh, said Arwen. What's that? Strider looked down at his sopping wet clothes. I'd like a new suit, he said. Thank you everybody for tuning in to this week's Hall of Mirrors. Stay tuned for a sneak peek at the next adventure. Hall of Mirrors is written and produced by Sam Schultz with the main theme composed and performed by him as well. Each episode brings you a new adventure of Strider and Arwen as they travel through the multiverse, protecting it from various threats from within and beyond. We can be found on Anchor at anchor.fm slash Hall of Mirrors, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere podcasts are available. Please follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest updates. There are links to all of that in the description. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Next time on Hall of Mirrors. Foreverland. While searching for anyone that might have connection to Fey lore, Arwen and Strider stumble upon a land where people never grow old. However, the secret to eternal youth isn't what it seems, and it has dark consequences for those who partake.